Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the jar. We're glad you're uh, here this morning. And uh, wasn't Tuesday amazing? And then it ended. But I'm assuming that it's coming back, so uh, hopefully it will. Well, we're beginning a brand new series uh, today called Son of God. And over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, different stories about the life of Jesus. And uh, the way we're going to uh, connect to it, uh, movie worldwide, is uh, we're going to be looking at some different clips from the uh, movie that just came out called uh, The Son of God. And so each week what we'll do is we'll watch a, a clip of the movie and we'll talk about that story, we'll uh, study it, and then we'll look at some practical ways that we can apply that to our lives. Now, before we look at the clip this morning, I want to give you a little bit of background uh, to what you're going to see. Uh, when Jesus comes on uh, the screen here, not the real Jesus, okay, this is uh, just an act. Some people are like, dude, he's here? Like, really? No, no. He'll just, it'll be an actor, okay? Um, he is here, but he just won't be on the screen. Um, but anyway, uh, that was not a good way to open up when you're a public speaker, just in case you were wondering. He was 30 years old when he comes onto the scene into his public ministry. And he was a carpenter for most of his life. He was a woodworker. Now, he didn't get paid a lot of money. In fact, he was one of the lower um, kind of peasant kind of roles uh, to be a carpenter. But uh, when he started his public ministry, all that changed. And he started connecting with people and he started teaching them. And all of a sudden, his name started hitting the headlines of the Israel papers. I mean, he was on things like CNN, you know, Fox News, uh, MSNBC. He was the number one Google search, you know, if they had Google back then. Um, and they, he was just it. He had a rock star kind of following. People were following him, and he was like Bono or Beyonce, you know? All the single ladies, all the single ladies, you know that one? And uh, so, like, everyone, uh, you know, was kind of uh, following him. And all of a sudden, some whispers started coming out. And the whispers were, I've heard that he even heals some people. I've heard that he's healed some people. And the religious leaders of the day uh, heard about him also, and they weren't very happy. How many of you have an older brother or sister? Raise your hand. Okay. Have you ever had that experience where they got something that you didn't get? Like attention? Like, they get all the attention and you, you didn't. I mean, our girls fight with that all the time, you know. Dad, you're not paying enough attention to me. And this is what's happening. These religious leaders are getting ticked because they don't have the attention turned on them anymore. It's all turned on this new carpenter prophet named Jesus. And they're ticked off. And it isn't until this particular story that we're going to look at today that Jesus and the Pharisees actually meet. It's like, you know, WWF coming into action uh, because now all of a sudden you have two people or two groups of folks that are saying, hey, this is a teaching showdown right here. Now, these religious leaders, though, they had a very different worldview than Jesus did. 
Jesus' worldview was this. You love God and you love other people. The religious leaders of the day said, no, 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 no. If you want to get close to God, those two things are good, but that's not enough. We've got to put some more rules and regulations and rituals into place, 613 of them altogether. And we follow them. So if you want to get close to God, you've got to listen to us first. And even worse, they just lost sight of what the Bible really said, and they forgot the most important thing, and it's this. People matter to God. The person sitting in your seat matters to God. There is not a human being in this world that doesn't matter to God. And the religious leaders of Jesus' day totally forgot that. So, in Luke chapter 5, we have this story. Let's take a look at it. How shall we picture the kingdom of God? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. The smallest seed in the world. Yet, when planted, grows up. Rabbi. He's paralyzed. Things are forgiven, my son. Did you hear that? He has forgiven his sin. I thought only God could do that. Not blasphemy. He knows. It is blasphemy. Is that your wish, my friend? Well, answer me. Tell me which is easier. To say his sins are forgiven. Or say he... Get up. And walk. Son of man has authority to forgive sin.
So there's the story. A man is brought by his friends, who is paralyzed, into the presence of Jesus. And we don't know exactly how long he's been paralyzed, but for a period of time. And do you know the number one thing that this guy saw every single day as he laid down, motionless, not able to move his arms or his legs? He saw these. Feet. Big feet, little feet, ugly feet, cute feet. But most of all, what he saw was feet walking away from him. People just walked by him all day long until one day his friends said, no, 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 no one's going to walk away. We're going to walk to this guy named Jesus. Now, what's interesting is that after Jesus forgives his sins and he heals this man, remember what the Pharisee, the religious leader said? He said, I thought only God could forgive sin." And then Jesus actually claimed a title, the most uh, important title that he takes on, his, his favorite title. Do you remember what he said? The Son of Man. All right, it's the title of the teaching, so I mean, you know, don't, don't think you all got it there, you know. But it's the Son of Man. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 24, he says this, The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I looked at it this week. Eighty-eight times throughout the New Testament, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. It was his favorite title. But the question is, where did he get this from? I mean, did he just kind of pull it out of thin air? Did he make it up? Did he kind of bring it up on the fly? Well, this is what's really cool. 600 years before Jesus, there was a guy by the name of Daniel. He was a prophet, a pastor, someone who spoke on uh, God's behalf. And Daniel has this moment where he has a vision from God, and he writes it down, and this is what he said. I looked, and there before me was one like a, what's the next phrase? Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, that is, God the Father, and was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, folks, Daniel had never personally ever met Jesus before. And yet, Jesus, when he comes onto the stage, he refers to himself as the Son of Man. Jesus was clearly making a reference to his identity as being the Messiah, the one that was chosen, the one who Daniel had written about hundreds and hundreds of years before. But the phrase, Son of Man, refers also to something else. And that is that Jesus shares in our humanity. You see, Jesus understands what it's like to be you. He was 100% divine, 
but he was also 100% human. And he understands because he is one of us. He was tested in every single way that you and I are tested in. He didn't sin, but he knows exactly what temptation feels like. He knows what it's like to work hard. He's a carpenter. Do you think he ever got a splinter in his hand? Yeah. He got blisters. He knows what it's like to have to pay bills. He was raised at least half of his life by a single mom. So he knows what that pressure is like. He knows what it's like to have family disagreements. He knows what it's like when friends betray you. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be disappointed. He knows what it's like to have grief. You see, the title Son of Man is not some way far off distant title that we can't relate to or that we cannot connect with. But it is a title that says, I know what you're going through. I'm not like Buddha. I'm not like Muhammad. I'm not like any others that are distant from you. I am with you. I understand what's going. I've walked where you've walked. I've been in your shoes. I understand. Son of man means not a person who's out of touch, but it means a person who is actually in touch with everything that you're going through. Jesus knows what it's like to be you. He's able to identify with your sorrows and your sufferings. He's able to identify. He knows when you have success and when you have great pleasure. And so for the rest of our time, what I simply want us to do is to look at some ways that we can develop our relationship with the Son of Man, regardless of where we're at on the spiritual spectrum, whether you're here for the first time or you've been following Christ your entire life. How do you develop a relationship with Him? Well, the first practical step is this. You simply come to Jesus as is. You come to Jesus as is. Growing up, uh, there was a section in many stores in which... If you went to that section, there would be merchandise that you could get a really, really good deal at. And this section was highlighted. It was there in stores. And the tip-off was that every single item in that store had a particular, or in that section of the store, had a particular tag. And that tag was on every item, and it read this. As is. This was a way for the store to say that these are damaged goods. Sometimes they might be called slightly irregular. They're going to have a flaw in them in some way. It may be a stain that they couldn't get out, a zipper that wouldn't zip, a button that wouldn't button. And the stores are simply telling, we won't tell you what the flaws are. You'll have to figure it out for yourself. But they're there. So when you find it, and you will find it, Don't come whining to us. Don't try to get an exchange. Don't get a refund. Don't get any sympathy. Don't expect perfection. You have been fairly warned. If you want this item, you have to obtain it as is. I was a history major in college, and basically what that meant was I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. 
so I picked history. And the cool thing was we had a January term in which you could go and you could travel to different places. And my sophomore year in college, I was able to go to the Middle East, uh, to Egypt, Turkey, and Greece. And when we were in Turkey, uh, one of the things that we learned was, was that it was the leather mart of the world. Like if you wanted any kind of leather good, you went to Turkey, to Istanbul. And so I remember we went to this one leather mart that literally was miles of leather goods. And I walked through uh, the stores and I was like, man, I need a leather coat. Like, how cool would that be to come back to the U.S. with a leather coat? So I started looking through some stores. And you know from last week, uh, growing up, I was a cheapskate uh, penny pincher. And so I'm looking around for something, and I finally get to one store, and there's a section that has a a word on it that I can't read. Um, But I asked them, I said, what what does that mean? They go, well, that stuff, I think in the U.S. you call it as is. And I was like, oh, yeah. We're going to get us a good deal here. And so I start looking around, and I found this code. And I looked at this coat. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Now, some of you are going to look at this coat and go, dude, that is out of style. But in 1990, this was the stuff, okay? And so, I mean, look at the pleat in the back even. I mean, you know, this was like when you had style. And so I get this coat and I start looking at it. There's nothing wrong with it. I get ready to zip it up. And when I get ready to zip it up, I'm like, That's not like zipping on the right side that I'm used to. And I didn't think too much about it. I was like, man, I'm getting a steal of a deal here. I mean, this is going to be great. And so I buy the coat and I come back and my wife, Jennifer, and I, we we were dating at the time. We're still dating, but we were dating then, too. And... um, and so we're, we're dating, and we're on a date one day, and I, I kind of like get my chest out like this. I'm like, you want to know about this coat? She's like, yeah. So I told her I went to Turkey. You know, there was a section as is. I got this really, really cheap. She's like, oh, really? And she's like, let me see that coat. So she takes the coat. She puts it on. She zips it up. She goes, I know why you got it so cheap. I said, why? She goes, it's a woman's coat. I never knew, and some of you guys would not admit it, but some of you don't know that they zip on the other side either, that women's clothing zips differently. And so for this whole time, I was wearing this coat thinking I was a stud when I was a dud or dudette, you know? But I don't call that a woman's coat. I call it a slightly irregular leather coat, you know what I mean? Now, folks, the reality is every single one of us are slightly irregular. In fact, why don't you turn to the person beside you right now, just help them with their honesty and say, you are slightly irregular, okay? Okay, some of you had a little bit more commentary than just that, I think, so... Let's come back to Jesus then. Um, Folks, the reality is, you know what? There is a tag on every single one of us. 
That says as is. Don't expect perfection. There's a flaw here. And when you find it, and you will find it, don't be shocked. Because every person comes as is. In our story today, these guys bring their buddy to Jesus as is. And this is what the text says. One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law, those non-grace rule followers, were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man, an as-is person, on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay before him. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. So here they are. They're bringing their buddy who's paralyzed. But they're determined that if they bring him as is, that maybe this son of man will actually bring healing to his life. Have you ever noticed that there are some people that are more determined than other people? You ever notice that? Like, for instance, we won't take a survey this morning, but for some of you, if you had a buddy who was paralyzed and you got to the situation that, you know, they were in and you see this crowded room of people and you're going to have to do something drastic, you'd be like, hey, bud, we'll try next time. You know, like just being real, we'll try it the next time. I mean, some people have no problem taking no for an answer, but not these guys. I mean, these guys, they were not going to be stopped, even if it meant doing something drastic. And I mean, what is more drastic? Think about that. Your own home. If someone gets on the top of it and starts ripping off the tiles, you'd be like, I know you like Jesus, but get off my roof, you know? And they tear a hole, and it's drastic. But they were like, we're not going to be stopped. Even then, when they hit the traffic dram of the crowd, they're like, we'll go up. We'll go up on the roof. They climbed on the roof. They ripped off the sticks, the straw, the mud, and they lowered the paralyzed friend, as is, into the room where Jesus was teaching. And this is what is ironic to me. It didn't bother Jesus at all. I mean, Jesus wasn't like, whoa, whoa, hey, I'm in the middle of a very important teaching right now, and I would really appreciate it if you would just stop. He didn't say, hey, where are you borrowing this house? I don't even have a house, and now you're ripping off the roof? What's up with that? He didn't call the police. He didn't run out of the house. He simply stopped the teaching And he looked at the man. All of his attention focused on him. Why? Because Jesus is infinitely approachable. And he always accepts us as is. Jesus will never turn you you away. He will never laugh in your face. He will never flip his nose up at you. Folks, the Son of Man loves you And he accepts you as is. The good, the bad, the ugly. The birthmarks, the unibrow, the warts and all. I'm just talking about me right there, those three things, okay? But Jesus loves us. 
And there's nothing you can do to make him from stop loving you. But this is the thing I love about him. That he loves you too much to force you into a relationship with you. I mean, any of you are, that are parents, there's two different responses with your kids that you uh, usually have when you say, come here. Either one, they run to you and they're like, oh, Dad, I love you. Or secondly, you have to go find them in a room and say, come up here, give me a hug. You know what I mean? Which one do you like better? You like it when they come to you. That's the way Jesus is. He will not force that on you. In fact, he says, come to me. The passage of Scripture says this. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me calling and open the door, I will come in. Jesus will not huff and puff and blow your house down. He will simply wait for you to come. And he says, when you do, don't be afraid. Come as is. That's how I take everybody. And folks, whatever your past, whatever your issues, whatever your hurts, habits, hang-ups, whatever your doubts, whatever your excuses, he says, just come and let nothing stand in your way. Don't let the crowd keep you from getting connected to me. Because I will accept you as is. The next step to developing this relationship with the Son of Man is that you have to find forgiveness in him. You find forgiveness in Jesus. Let's turn again to the story in verse uh, 20. It says this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is fascinating to me for a couple of reasons. First of all, did you notice this? That it doesn't say Jesus saw his faith. Doesn't say that, does it? It says he saw their faith. Now that's weird because if you think about it, if a person's going to be healed, it should be based upon their faith, not on the people around them. But when Jesus saw these guys go up these steps to the top to tear off the roof, he's like, man, that is what I call enormous faith. Now we don't know how much faith this man had, the scripture doesn't tell us. But we do know this, that when Jesus saw the faith of his friends, he extended forgiveness to this paralyzed man. You know, some of you are here today and you don't know why you're here. You may have been dragged in here kicking and screaming. You just wanted somebody to get off your back so you can. You may be here and you may not be expecting anything. You may have come here today apprehensive about a church that meets in a gym. Whoa. You may have came here today and you had a great attitude. And you're like, I'm ready to expect something from God. You may have come in here today and you had the worst possible attitude on earth. You may feel as if you don't have a drop of faith. Not even a grain of faith. But you know what? There are others around you in this place, that do. Several years ago, I met this couple come up on the side screen, uh, Bill and Marcia. Marcia had been praying for her husband, Bill, for decades and decades that he would finally forgive himself. That, that he would find forgiveness from God. But Bill just kind of blew it off. 
He grew up on the other side of the tracks, as he says. He had done a lot of bad things in his life. He had battled a lot of different addictions in his life. And he said, honestly, Chris, I just, I just never thought God would ever forgive me. I couldn't forgive me. How could God forgive me? Well, decade after decade, she kept praying until finally in his 50s, God moved some mountains in Bill's life that were preventing him from finding forgiveness. And in the winter of 2006, Bill got baptized and he accepted Christ as Lord. And the reason I'll never forget this is because I remember we had a a meeting uh, at a house to kind of encourage people who had been baptized uh, a couple months later. And while we're at this meeting and he's telling me a story, I'm just like so excited. And sometimes I don't have a filter. I have a better filter now than I did then, but I don't have a filter. And afterwards, Bill's kind of standing over there and I go up and I give him a great big bear hug. and I go, man, I love you. And Bill was like this. And he said, I thought to myself, what has my wife gotten me into? Well, Bunch couldn't derail, even with his hug and I love you statement. Bill just kept on growing. And he thought, I don't want to keep this to myself. We got family members who, they don't feel like anyone forgives them. And so they reached out to Marcia's sister, Marcia. It's spelled Marcia, but that's how she pronounces it, Marcia. And she found forgiveness. And Bill's like, this thing's working. Like, people are really feeling forgiven for the first time in their life, in our family. And so they didn't stop there. They went ahead, and Marcia's sister, Patty, they reached out to her. And she found forgiveness. And then Patty reached out to her daughter and son-in-law, Melissa and Chris, and their two kids, Coy and Maylee. And the faith of Bill and Marcia, was enough to provide forgiveness for these others. And Bill and Marcia were like, we're not done. We've got a nephew too, Bob and his wife Jen, who need forgiveness, and their kids, Jenna and Presley. And eventually, it was like this spider web of forgiveness that was reaching out to their family. It's like this domino effect that had infiltrated Bill and Marcia's family. And Bill said this week, I just keep having faith and God has not failed me. We still have a long way to go, but it's going. Now here's the point, folks. Many of you have friends in this room that have faith. And maybe they can be to you as the friends of the paralytic man were to him. Maybe they're praying for you right now. And if you're here for the first time, the reality is we've been praying for you before you even came. We're cheering you on. We're believing that God's going to do something greater in your life than what you've experienced right now. So that's one thing. 
Here's the second thing that's significant in this story. After this paralyzed man is brought to Jesus, the scripture says this, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Now what's weird about that is that when the man first appears to him, Jesus doesn't say, be healed. I mean, that's what you think should be the first thing, right? I mean, someone's paralyzed, they should be healed. But instead, what does Jesus say? He says, your sins are forgiven. Now, why does he do this? Well, there's one thought in that day that if you were ill or sick, it was because of the sin of your life. But there's another passage in which Jesus heals a blind man, and he says it's not because of anything from this man's past. It's because the glory of God is to be shown now as I heal this person. So it couldn't have been that. Why does Jesus do this? Because Jesus is eager to forgive. And even though this man came to experience healing, the first thing that Jesus did, even before he healed him, was to say, hey, there's something that's weighing you down and paralyzing you more than your physical paralysis. Because there's some of you who are here today who you feel weighed down. All of us do probably to some extent. Why? Because of stuff in our life. And Jesus says, come to me. Let me forgive you. Let me lighten the load. Whatever you brought here today, uh, whatever brought you here today, maybe a friend, maybe the music, maybe my magnetic personality, you know, not. Whatever it is that brought you here today, you know what Jesus was hoping? Is that he could extend forgiveness to you. But I don't know, maybe you're like me sometimes. Sometimes I do some real bullheaded things. And all of a sudden I just think, man, I don't deserve forgiveness. Sometimes I can't find forgiveness because I don't feel like I deserve to be forgiven. And the reason is, folks, because I do dumb things over and over and over again. I think Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament, considered one of Jesus' closest followers, folks. This is in the Bible. This is what he said. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Do you get that? I think naturally, all human beings get that. You don't have to explain it to them. I have a feeling if we took this scripture and we went out on the street and said, hey, we want to read this to you. You read it to them. They're like, dude, that's in the Bible. That's like my life. What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I tend to do. You see, we realize that there is a moral law and we screw up and we fall short. And we do it over and over and over again. That's why people naturally believe at some point, man, I've just done it too much. I can't be forgiven. Have you ever said this to yourself before? I'll never do that again. Or that, that's wrong. And then you find yourself 
doing that exact same thing. We've all done that. And when you do that, what happens is the evil one will come and he will tempt you to think these thoughts. Look, you did it again. God can't forgive you this time. He's not that forgiving. You messed up too much this time. And it's a lie. That is a lie. There is nothing that God will not forgive if you come to Him with a repentful heart. What's that mean? That means that you have a real true sense of confession, of being sorry. That you're, you know, remorseful. And any time you repent, this is what it means. It means that you turn away. You, re means you turn away. And pent means to the highest level, like a penthouse. So you leave wherever you're at in your sin life, and you go to the highest level that you know to follow God. And Jesus promises this. I will forgive you every single time. His record, folks, is 100%. He just forgives. You flub up, you mess up, you screw up, but you repent, you say you're sorry, you turn back to God, He says you're forgiven. And this is what's really cool. You don't have to listen to Bunch and think that it's true. The Bible actually gives us thoughts on the fact that He doesn't remember our sins anymore. Isaiah 43, 25 says this. God says, I am the one who forgives all your sins for my sake. I will not remember your sins. And then he's like, I know some of you won't believe that. You're still remembering them. So let me go and let me throw them into a sea of forgetfulness. Micah 7.19 says, You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the deepest depths of the ocean. And if that's not enough, he says, I'll do one more step to remind you that I do not remember sin. He says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Anybody here know how far it is from the east to the west? It's infinite. You can't define it. That's the way forgiveness is. And maybe you walked in here today and you've got a big load of stuff from your past that you think is unforgivable. It can be forgiven today. Maybe you walked in here today just this last week. You did a couple of things. You said a couple of things. You can be forgiven. Maybe it was just like the car ride. You got the kids together and you're fighting and you're about ready to kill each other. And then you're like, let's go into church and be happy. <laughs> Even then, folks, you can be forgiven. Jesus is ready to forgive. So find forgiveness today. It's yours for the asking. Last thing. Receive healing from him. Receive healing from him. The friends of this paralyzed man, they break through this roof. They lower their friend into the presence of Jesus. And Jesus turns to the man. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven. And then this is what happens. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law begin thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that, what's the phrase? The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, 
took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Now, what's interesting in this story, folks, is what is said and what is not said. I mean, we have no idea how this paralyzed man responds. Text doesn't tell us tell us that. We don't know if after Jesus said, uh, "Friend, your sins are forgiven today," that he didn't look confused and he's like, "Hey, you know, forgiving of sins is all good and well, Jesus, but I came to get healed today. Like I've been on this mat for years." Or maybe he welled up with tears, with gratitude. Maybe this was about to come out of his mouth. Thank you for forgiving my sins, but while you're at it, could you do something with the paralysis? We don't know what he said. Text doesn't tell us. But you know what we do find out? What people are thinking? The Pharisees, the religious leaders. Jesus, in his power, he reads their mind. And he calls them out on their wicked, stinking thinking. Their faithless, jealous minds. And he goes, why does this Jesus guy, that's what they're saying to themselves. Who does this Jesus guy think he is? How can he just come in and do this in front of us? And Jesus basically was saying, I'll tell you who I am. I'm the son of man. I'm the Messiah. I'm the chosen one. I have the authority to forgive sins and the power to heal this man's paralysis. And bam, in that moment, he does both. Forgives all of his sins and the man stands up, takes his mat, and walks home. Jesus revealed himself as the Son of Man. He demonstrated that he had authority to forgive sins and he proved that he had the ability to heal. Because this is what's true about Jesus, the Son of Man. He is infinitely powerful. He wants you to receive His healing power today. But if you are to receive His power, if you are to receive His healing, if you are to receive His forgiveness, you must first go to Him and ask for help. This week was a huge week in the life of the Bunch family. My oldest daughter, Jordan, came to me on Tuesday, and she said, Dad, today is the day. And I was like, what are you talking about? What's, it's a nice day. No, she's like, today is the day. I want to take the training wheels off my bike. And so I said, well, why don't you go talk to your mom? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. Any good father is going to say, yeah. So we get the wrenches out, and you know, I'm not very mechanical, so she had to find the wrench that worked. And like, you know, we, we kind of get it off, and we get these off, and we let the bike just kind of sit there. And uh, she's like, that's a big girl bike. I was like, yeah, it is. We packed up the big girl bike. We went to a field uh, that's near our home, and uh, I said, Jordan, we're going to try this, and then uh, we're going to do something different. And so she got on the bike, and I held on the back of it, and she went about 10 feet. Bam! Fell down, you know. Little tears, trying to hold it back. But she's like, oh, Dad, because, you know, we're on grass. So I come, and I kind of heal her up. I kiss her boo-boos. I'm like, hey, it's going to be okay. So we get back on the bike again. She goes 20 feet. Bam! Falls down again. 
She's like, how far, Dad? I go, 20 feet. She's like, yes. Wipes the tears, gets back on her bike. We go again a little bit more. 30 feet. She gets out there. Wham, falls down again. She's a little bit upset, but she's like, how far, Dad? 30 feet. And then something changed. I grabbed on the back of it, and then I just kind of let it go. And she went for 40 feet, and then she fell down. Then I held a little bit less, and she went 50 feet. And finally, she went 60 feet by herself. And I go, sis, it is time for us to hit the pavement. She's like, you're right, Dad. (laughs) So we take her bike. We go back to the cul-de-sac and take a look at this. Good job, Jordan. You're all right. Today is March the 11th, and Jordan just rode her bike in her neighborhood for the first time. And Jordan, what would you like to say? I love being on two wheels. It's awesome. Cool. And I love my dad for helping him. (laughs) I love you. I don't know if you caught that last part. But she said, I love my dad for helping me. You know what? Your Heavenly Father wants to help you. And He doesn't want to help you just learn how to ride your bike. He wants you to learn how to live life the most abundant way. He wants you to know that you are loved enough that no matter how far you ride, He will always be right beside you. His love for you, folks, I don't even think you, we don't even realize how much it is. And he says that I will be the one who will always be with you even when you fall. Today, some of you need help from your Heavenly Father. Your dad. That's what this scripture actually says. Abba, Father. It means daddy. And so, God the Father sent His one and only Son, the Son of Man, to come so that you wouldn't have to go through life paralyzed and you could have new life in Him. But first, you must come to Him. Today, maybe you need some healing in a relationship. Emotionally, physically. Jesus is here today. He wants to mend broken hearts and to bring healing to relationships. He can heal your weariness. He can heal your worry. Some of you have been worrying about so many things going on in your life. And He can take that and He can heal it today. He can heal your body. He can heal your spirit. Come to Him as is. Find forgiveness and receive healing. The way we're going to close today is that the band's going to lead us in a closing song called Healer. And what I really wanted to do when I was praying this week was I just wanted to give you a moment while you're singing the song or you're just looking at the words that you could have a moment in your seat, just you and God. That you could say, I'm going to put everything aside for these four minutes because our lives are busy. There's crowds. We're not sure we can get to Jesus. And he says, no, 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 no. Come. 
And we won't rip off any roof today, but he's here and he wants a moment just with you. Maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe you're having some issues with your kids. Maybe finances are out of control. This might be the first step where you go, I'm coming as is. I need your forgiveness. God, would you show me that you want to bring healing? Maybe for some of you, this is your first time here, or you've been checking out God for a little while, but you've never made a decision to say, I want him to be the healer of my life. I want him to be Lord of my life. And I measured it out this week. From that corner right there to this table where there's some Bibles on the top is 60 feet. Jordan rode her her, her bike 60 feet. But she couldn't do it on her own unless her dad was right there with her. And maybe today, some of you would want to make that walk. For some of you, it would be less than 60 feet. But you could say, today's the day. I don't know everything. I don't understand everything. But as far as I know from what you said today, I think he'll take me as is, that I can find forgiveness, and that he'll bring healing into my life. And for others of you that are already connected, why don't you just have a moment with God? So if you would, please stand and uh, I'll pray and we'll give you a moment. Loving God, I thank you so much for sending your one and only son, the son of man, to earth so that we could be accepted and loved as is. And I pray right now that for every person in this place, God, that if they've been carrying something that they think is unforgivable, that just in their seat, you'd give them a moment to turn to you, their Abba Father, their Daddy, and to say, would you forgive me? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe something emotional. Maybe something else going on in their life, God. And would you bring healing to their lives? God, there are some folks here today that have never accepted you as Lord of their life. They've never taken a walk. And God, we got the lights down. No one's really going to be seen. So I just pray that if people are feeling your presence in their life, God, that they would take that step to get connected to you and to begin to walk that out. So Holy Spirit, come and move in the way that you can. For Christ's sake we pray.